This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our podcast comes to you from our WeatherWorks headquarters here in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me as always is my good buddy and co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. Good to be here once again. And hey, we're in the heart of winter now. Yeah, I think it's a good time, though, we can talk about some winter weather records now that yeah. we're uh, you know, still right here in the middle of winter, basically. No, I think that's a really good topic to talk about because, I mean, even as a kid, uh, I used to look up, oh, what was the coldest ever mm-hmm. on Earth? And what was the coldest ever in the United States? How about Pennsylvania? Like that sort of stuff. Yeah, who, so who got the most snow out of a certain storm <laughs> and things like that. Well, you that, always so. want to see what is the <laughs> most extreme extreme, it Absolutely. sounds like. Um, you know, when, when we're talking about records and it's always good to know what that is. And, and, you know, it's good if you're ever playing you know, trivia pursuit or on jeopardy or something, you have that random knowledge in your head if you really need it. And we, and we've lived through a few of those records. It's always nice to say, yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, does that just give us, make me feel old or what? But, uh, I think we, uh, are going to need some help with this because there's so many records to cover. Um, so, hey, why don't we invite in meteorologist Mike Priante once again to the Weather Lounge? Well, you guys always need my help because otherwise, yes. I mean, Brad, if, unless you want to <laughs> record these and, and, and produce them. I hey, know. Yes. We, we take Mike for granted. Yeah, we, we take it for granted. We, we know what you do behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, we, we do the fun stuff. You have to do all the editing. And so, you know, we got to invite you in here once in a while. Hey, with without Mike uh, Priante there, we'd be in a lot of trouble with all no, the editing and stuff that, that has to get done. So, Mike, we do appreciate all you do for the Weather Lounge, <laughs> and uh, maybe we should buy him a gift card or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well. A gift card? No. <laughs> no, I don't need a gift card. Trust me. This is part of my job. All so. right. We'll just give him a slap on the back. Good yeah, job, yeah, buddy. Yeah, there you go. Well, you guys you guys <laughs> got a nice gift for Penn State when you guys won the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's that's, you know. Oh, yeah. I can't say that. I, mean, I, I went to Ellersville. I'm not complaining at all. I'm really excited for this, for, for that. Uh, not not related to, to weather at all. But no, hey, I know. I'm but... excited about it. I'm excited for the year, new year, 2023. So uh, let's uh, let's dive into some of these winter records, shall we? Let's start out with the most obvious. You know, it's winter. You know, we forecast snow. So why not we just start with the most snow ever recorded? And of course, we can go off on all di- different tangents with this. So who wants to start? Yeah, I can start it off for us, Brad. Um, you know, the funny thing about it is when you think about the most snow. I know, you can go in so many different directions with this. Right. I mean, it could be, well, the most snow in an hour, the most snow in 24 hours, the most snow in a week, uh, most snow in a season. What, what, what do you want to really look at here i mean if you think about the most snow in an hour i mean a lot of times you know if we get these big lake effect events you know you might be talking about five inches six inches an hour or something like that um it, it is something that and we just we saw that twice be... this season already right right the the buffalo events have been Both just of them yeah off the charts ridiculous as far as how much snow is falling um out of those lake effect um uh, storms, that's for sure. But I think the place to start first would be probably a 24-hour period. So the most amount of snow, we'll stick to the U.S. for the most part here. Um, the most amount of snow 
in the U.S. for 24 hours has been 6.3 feet. Feet in 24 hours. Now, I mean, if you break that down, I mean, that's a little over 75 inches or so. We're talking about three inches an hour on average for 24 hours. Right. And that's a constant three inches per hour. I mean, I'm sure there were some lulls and some, you know, they might have averaged three to five inches for a couple of hours and oh, maybe yeah, one to two inches for others. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Man. Yeah. That's just assuming that, you know, it <laughs> right. snowed the same rate the entire day, but I'm sure there was some six inch an hour or sure. higher periods in there. And then maybe it dropped to one inch an hour. And where was that at? Yeah. So this uh, record for the 24 hour, um, snowfall occurred in the mountains of Colorado, but it was almost beat by a lake effect event in Montague, New York, where 77 inches was reported in 1997 in 24 hours. Now, the thing with records is, is that they don't just say, oh, this guy measured 77 inches. You know, that's the new record. Um, that's not how it works. So if there is a record, uh, like an all-time record that we have to investigate, typically, you know, you look at, hey, were all the proper measuring guidelines followed? Um, you know, a lot of times the, the, the World Meteorological Organization gets involved in some of these, the, the, the WMO. Um, but um, what was found with the Montague, New York, is that there was some improper measuring going on. Um, during that event, so no, they could that, not. I mean, it did it back then too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It, it could have been the guy cleared the board too often, or um, was measuring, you know, in the wrong spot where it might have drifted. I mean, they I don't know. They flipped the ruler inside, upside down, did they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. The yardstick. Are we sure they didn't measure in centimeters? <laughs> yeah yeah so i i don't know where um what went wrong um that they consider it improper guidelines but there's a number of ways snowfall measuring can go wrong and we know that from certified snowfall totals mm -hmm. and and looking at ob observer reports you know you know you, there's always there's always somebody who comes out with a higher number that doesn't make any sense compared to everything else and we have to go back and we have to look oh, we at We see that. that on Facebook all the time. Oh, I got 6.3 inches. No, no, I just got 9.2. <laughs> yeah. It always seems like there's a contest going on at, at times, <laughs> especially in the really big blizzards where somebody gets 20 and like, oh, I have more than 20. And somebody searches around and finds 21. And You know, you also have to think about it, too, because in a blizzard, you have tons of blowing and drifting. Yeah, it's tough and to measure to begin with. It's so tough to measure, Brad. And it's like when you are trying to measure, first of all, that's why with these big events, especially lake effect events, it's so difficult to even like get an accurate reading, especially if you're not doing the proper clearing of the snowboard and, and re-measuring. Um, you know, you, also you need a really big ruler. I mean, you know, hey, 70 inches of snow. I don't think they make rulers that big. Yeah. Well, I would imagine you wouldn't have 70 inches of snow in one measurement <laughs> unless you're doing a ground depth. Yeah. Well, ground depth, just eyeball it at that point. You can, you know, good luck with that. Um, but I mean, it's tough with, with measurements, especially in blizzards, because you get people that measure, you know, uh, you know, we, we call slant sticking, where essentially they just throw the ruler in and, you know, it, it's like a little bit of a, a hill in, in, in the snowbank. So they measure the top of it and it's not 
accurate because the, the snow is pushed to the side. So what you're measuring is essentially the, the side of the ruler. It's at an awkward angle. It's not, it's not proper. It's not level. Yeah, absolutely. And to clarify, I said the mountains of Colorado earlier. That was in Silver Lake, Colorado. Um, so just so you have the uh, actual Yeah, I think it's town. at like 10,000 feet, though, too, but still. Yeah, it's up there. It is, That's for sure. it is still on Earth and, and in the U.S., so. Has anybody been to Colorado? I have not, actually. My aunt lives in Colorado, though. Um, she lives uh, uh, west of Denver, uh, a few miles into the uh, foothills. But I have never gone out there. I always once, want to, though. a long time ago. Never gone skiing, but I was out there once. Um, yeah, one thing, too, is not to get off a tangent here, but, uh, you know, the Colorado, a lot of places, especially Denver, it's like 6,000 feet above sea level. So, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's tough when you go out there because you have to acclimate to just the difference in pressure. Um, you know, your body needs to acclimate, and it's tough sometimes. You, you know, you can't just, you know, get to Denver for the first time ever and just go for a marathon. You know, you, you got you to gotta really acclimate to just, you know, because, again, it's, it's well above sea level, especially if you're coming from, like, a, a place like Miami. You know, it's not going to be a good time to acclimate. No. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so if we want to move on from the 24-hour record and we want to go to a two-day record, let's say. So this record is from Thompson Pass in Alaska. And you kind of figure, well, this must be somewhere in Alaska or something, some of these records. But this is uh, kind of just east of Valdez or Valdez, um, however you say that, uh, where they had that oil spill. Yeah, the oil thing, in the, yeah. I don't know, was it was in the 80s or um, whenever that was. Yeah, Valdez, sorry. Um, so the two-day total was 120.6 inches. That's just over 10 feet. This was back in December of 1955. And the three-day total, because there was still this system going through, was 147 inches. Um, now, if you run that back, I mean... 120 inches in two days. I mean, that's probably close to the average Buffalo seas for the entire winter season. It's probably over the Buffalo average, honestly. Um, Can you imagine shoveling that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know how. Um, You'd have to get. I mean, a bulldozer, I guess. At this point, I mean, there's no way to. Number one, you can't. You can't shovel that by yourself um and i mean hey think about that too a lot that that all that's gonna be on a roof or a car i mean think of the weight of the snow i mean that that's... right that's big concerns come in then absolutely um when you have that much snow going on i mean those roofs are taking on so much weight you're gonna have collapses you're gonna have failures um definitely something you have to think about and buffalo new york's average is 95 uh, inches around there um so yeah over <laughs> buffalo's seasonal average um in two days and that's pretty amazing so you know people out there might be thinking well mike what do you this is alaska i mean what about the lower 48 you know let's get back to home i mean alaska's alaska it snows all the time blah 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 blah. yeah <laughs> but gotta give some love up there you know um but in the lower 48, Mount, Mount Shasta in California 
was 103 inches in two days. Jeez. And a hundred. Like... And 135 inches in three days. And this is back in uh, February of 1959. That's like five years worth for a lot of places along the I-95 corridor. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. Um, I think uh, even in that big year in uh, New England, when they had over 100 inches of snow, I mean, 135 in three days, that's more than what they got uh, that season. Year. Yeah. Right. So... You're getting this in 72 hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of these are so amazing. Um, and speaking of Mount Sa- Mount, I keep getting that. I keep Mount like, Shasta. Mount Shasta. I keep wanting to say Sasta. Um, Mount Shasta. Speaking of that area, they actually hold the record for the most snow in a single storm. So they consider this one whole storm. It was over 15 feet at Mount Shasta, 189 inches. That happened over seven days from February 13th to the 19th uh, in 1959. Um, so it's probably, you know, we've been hearing a lot about this uh, over the winter season, these atmospheric rivers people are talking about. Um, and, and basically what that is is just a big, you know, river of moisture that's coming out of the Pacific. It's crashing into the uh, Western United States, gets lifted up over to the, over the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, and then just dumps. And, yeah. And just dumps so much snow throughout these mountains. So, so yeah. Um, seven day period, 189 inches, not too shabby, right? <laughs> and uh <laughs> You know, we uh, we also have to talk about the uh, you know the highest amount of snow in an hour, because I mean, hey, you know, we have a day, we have twenty four hours, we have a week, but do you know the most amount of snow, at least uh, from our records, in an hour? Ooh, I'm gonna guess eight. No, but you're close. Okay, you're close. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere like seven, eight, nine inches in, a, in the an. The most hour. I've ever really seen as far as through my meteorological career was six that was and that was in yeah. the 2013 blizzard that hit new england uh there was a six inch an hour report uh out of northeast connecticut well i'll tell you this it didn't come from a uh you know a coastal system it, it didn't come from a, your your typical you know inland runner it, it came from a lake effect event which isn't really that surprising right no that right. doesn't that surprise me yeah. up over you right it was back in 1966. Um, apparently, there was a uh, record of, get this, 12 inches in an hour. In no. Copenhagen, New York. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. Yeah. 12? Now, I don't know if this is a what is super a big... official, but it was reported. Um, I know that back in 2017, actually, you mentioned Thompson Pass. They had about 10 inches in an hour. Um, so... That's again. That seems more more likely, and again, that is a little more you know. It's recent. That, that averages out to one inch every five minutes, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yeah. I know you'd have to be out there. You probably could set up a time lapse and just like for an hour, and you could see how fast the snow. It would be it'd be ridiculous. Imagine what the visibility is during that hour. <laughs> well, no, I, I just I can't even like I'm trying to picture it because the most I've seen personally was four inches an hour i was gonna say and, you had that one storm in uh down the lehigh valley yeah that was in uh 2016 i believe and um i, I feel like 
how could it snow any harder than this? I mean, the flakes were huge. It was just entirely ripping. And I was thinking to myself, I know it snows harder than this, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around it <laughs> because it was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's 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 kind of hard to wrap your head around 12 inches in an hour. Um, what's the math on that, Brad? 12 inches in an hour, that's what? We said uh, that's what I was saying, about an inch, every, inch every five minutes. Every five minutes, yeah. I mean, ooh, can you, I mean, ooh, I mean, I think the, <laughs> the, I'm just, I'm just so blown away by this, by this stat. I mean, for me, I think the highest was like four inches an hour, five inches an hour from the Boxing Day Blizzard. Of Boxing Day, I was going to say. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, though, liquid equivalents, that's not that much, though. Like in the thunderstorm, it, that would, I mean, if ratios are 10 to one, you're probably looking at what, 1.2 inches of rain in an hour, which that's a typical thunderstorm, a good good decent thunderstorm i mean but then if you translate it to snow yeah that's that's ridiculous oh yeah i don't know exactly what the rate what the ratio was with this but i don't think it's 10 to 1 yeah probably not no no it's probably uber fluff yeah oh yeah uber fluff. i like that <laughs> you could get you can get a snow blower probably blow everything away <laughs> yeah blow yeah, a foot you, of snow a leaf blower was... probably yeah yeah oh my goodness so, so let's go on to like a bigger, bigger time scale here. And, and usually what, and, and usually what the, I guess all the records and all the, the, the snow calendars, they go, they don't go January 1st to December 31st, right? They go from July 1st to June 30th, because that'll encompass anything that falls in the early fall and even into the late spring. And uh, the, the most amount of snow that we've, or at least that has been recorded or officially recorded is Mount Baker ski area in Washington. And they had 1,140 inches of snow for that <laughs> one year period from July 1st to June 30th. So it's about 95 feet. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, I mean, you get a, 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 a three foot blizzard on the East coast and you look outside and you're like, wow, this is the off, most yeah. snow ever, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't even know what you do with, with that feet of snow, 95. Yeah. I mean, what are you talking about here? It's, it's a ski it's, area too. So, I mean, it's, people are there. I mean, granted, they're probably not there some days because they get actually too much snow to open the ski area and they got to they gotta clear it out. But yeah. that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I'm sure they, they, I'm, I'm sure they skied year round that year. Oh my God! Absolutely, they're they're skiing on uh, July Fourth. Yeah, even if you, I've seen that. Yeah, there's a pl- couple places out in the Rockies that can that can survive the July Fourth. Yeah, I mean, it only shut down for like two months, but um, unheard of here in the East Coast. Sometimes we we try to get three months out of a season now. Oh yeah, well, the, <laughs> I don't. I think the ski areas around uh, the Poconos have probably been making their own snow the entire year for the most part. Um, but, um, you know, that, that is amazing. And, and it's all coming out of the West coast here. Yeah. Again, um, the atmospheric with, with river all sets these up and you get the big snow records. I mean, if you go back to most snow in a month, uh, now we're heading down to California at Tamarack. Uh, this is bear Valley ski area, 390 inches in a month in January, 1911. Um, that's 32 and a half feet. Um, so the record depth, so this, when we talk about depth, we're talking about the physical amount of snow 
on the ground at one time, the most amount of snow that is actually sitting on the ground. Because you can get like, you know, the thousand inches over the year, but you, what is the actual depth that's on the ground at any one point? Because you have some melting cycles and, and, and settling and that sort of thing. So the record amount of depth on the ground at any one point was 451 inches. Again, in Tamarack, California. Was that the same year as the... Uh... Yes, same yeah, year okay. uh, as the monthly record. This is 37 and a half feet. And this was in March 1911. So it was a little bit um, you know, after that record that was set in January. I mean, that's, ab- that's above a two-story house if you got that much snow on the ground at once. <laughs> yeah, if you think about it that way, sure. Because like, each level of a house is about 10 feet. And then you go up... So that's two stories. And then if you go to the roof, so basically my house would be buried. Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 and I'm just like thinking about that. And uh, first of all, I don't know how you measure it. I guess you just get a big pole of some sort and just keep, you know, maybe you planted it in the ground at the beginning of the season or something like that. And, and there's marks on it. I, I, I don't know what you do. I, I'm sure you could also try to measure like maybe if there's a nearby tree. <laughs> yeah. and maybe measure how tall the tree is and use that as a focal point for how, how high the snow is. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's do one more snow factoid before we move on to some other stuff. And I'll cover this one since I looked it up and I was doing a little research on it. And, you know, the big question a lot of folks always have, and you probably know the answer. I mean, has it ever snowed in Florida? And no, never. <laughs> yeah, well, no, the obvious answer is yes, because, well, you got to think about the panhandle too. I mean, yeah, it's still along the Gulf Coast. I mean, and there's been several instances of when Pensacola's gotten snow, uh, Tallahassee's gotten snow. Um, in the blizzard of 93 or the superstorm in 93, I think there were like four inches of snow in the panhandle. Jacksonville's had its share, some sleet, some mixed snow. And again, we're talking about the northern parts of Florida, which is still in its own right pretty impressive. But, you know, we're talking like, has it snowed at Disney World? Has it ever snowed like into Miami? And there haven't been a lot of instances of this. I mean, there's been flurries reported here and there, but there was one storm, at least one event going back to 1977 in January. And there was a really big area of high pressure over the Northeast and it was sending big time cold temperatures all the way down the East coast. And really kind of what happened was you get that Northeast flow off the Atlantic and it's warmer, even down there. It's, granted, it's not the summertime temperatures, the, the, the warmer Atlantic, but there was enough moisture to get into the air, and it was cold enough still over land where there were snow flurries reported all the way down to West Palm Beach and even into Homestead, which is like a northern suburb of Miami. Homestead, of course, uh, or su- southern, uh, I guess, uh, suburb southern of Miami. Southern, Homestead, yeah. of course, with Andrew. Um, but, you know, this was uh, this was going back to 1977, and, and the citrus the citrus crop took a took a beating that that winter too. It was really cold winter everywhere, um, but yeah, this was like I think the only instance where there might have been like measurable snow in Orlando and even uh, you know flakes all the way down to Miami. But don't forget about the most recent Christmas event. Now, yeah, I was just gonna say there is a small little yeah. Yeah, you can talk about that one, Mike. That was just this past Christmas. Yeah, um, I mean it was this Arctic outbreak that I mean it brought temperatures well into the negative like fifties up in like uh, the upper plains. Um, and that just kind of came crashing down. And it's almost 
reminiscent of the uh, Arctic outbreak of 2014, just not as not as robust and not as long. Um, but for this event, there was a system that came through, and uh, there was enough cold air in the upper levels. You know, the surface wasn't nearly as cold, like you know, it weren't below freezing, but we were in the upper 30s, near 40, uh, around like Rockledge, you know, basically Bre- Brevard County, Brevard County, in Florida. Um, which is essentially like just west of, I think, the Space Coast. Is that where um, Cape Canaveral is? Yeah, it's right along I-4 yeah, there Canaveral. between Orlando and It's in the and, same uh, latitude as, uh, as like the, like Orlando, maybe a little little north there. Um, but there was a little bit of sleet that uh, that came down, just a little cold layer. As, as the precip came down, it was mm-hmm. just enough to cause it to turn into some sleet, um, which, again, for that area, like we said, I mean, sleet is... A whole nother situation it's not flakes it's actual ice balls pellets coming from the sky yeah so. you imagine that uh you know conversation at cape canaveral yeah we're gonna have to scrub this launch because we have sleet. excuse me did you, what'd you say <laughs> what's sleet i've never heard of that before yeah sleet what it cannot be sleet you mean hail no no sleet. no and you know <laughs> social media social media had its fun that day because uh there was reports of snow down at the Dolphins game in Miami. Now, oh, now yeah. I guess, of course, social media caught caught wind of this, and it, you know, even some news sources were like, "Oh my God, it's snowing in 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 Miami!" But it happened. There was a snow, I guess, uh, a carnival before the game, and they were actually making not real snow, but they were, they weren't making snow. It was just like uh, cotton stuff in the air and stuff. It wasn't snow, but people were taking videos. Of course, they, oh my gosh, it's snowing at the Dolphins uh, pregame. Yeah. But, you know, it was, that was found to be, you know, the soundings didn't support it. And yeah, it was chilly, yeah. but it's just, it was just uh, the social media today just makes me I laugh. I saw the times. video, Brad. It, it, I mean, if you were to, if you were to have no information other than just, you know, it's snowing, it looked like flakes. I mean, there was, it did. No, I'm, I'll say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It looked like flakes, but so that could be anything, you know, I mean, anything could be flying around the air. Um, but, uh, I mean, everyone was bundled up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe even if you had a snow gun like that on ski resorts, you, you can't get cold that enough. to happen. No, you still need the cold air. <laughs> yeah. Unless there was an inside, if it was inside with the right conditions, probably, but in that air outside, no, not at all. You compressed air and temperatures like 28 or below to make, to make snow, something like that. Yeah, 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 something to that effect. Yeah, I was just looking that up too. It says a uh, wet bulb temperature of twenty-seven. Yeah, I, my old days at uh, Camelback, I kind of so. I didn't make snow. I didn't work outside, but I knew how they made snow. Yeah, how what? Yeah, they love dry to... air and like temperatures in the low twenties and low humidity. It's just uh, it's a perfect way to make snow. But you know, speaking of temperatures, because again, it wasn't as cold in in Florida down there, although enough to get the uh, you know dolphins fans to dress up like it's negative 20 <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. the coldest temperature ever recorded in the world can anybody take a guess without looking i mean i'm sure <laughs> you know just just to take a guess well, i mean i'll, I'll, I'll look. Know. But pretend <laughs> pretend you didn't look at the answer if you were to yeah. just out of the blue the coldest ever well, I know this, though. I, know, well, I have to say either the North Pole or the <laughs> South Pole. All right, we'll give the listeners uh, a second or two. to. Uh... Listeners are thinking about, listeners are thinking, okay, you have five more seconds, and... All right, what's the answer, Mike? Negative 128.6 degrees Fahrenheit. How do you even measure it? I mean, does a mercury go far enough down for that? 
I mean, <laughs> well, they're not certainly using a uh, thermometer you can no. get at uh, your local home improvement store. That's for, um, sure. for those that uh, I guess uh, are not uh, in the uh, the the Fahrenheit category, aka the rest of the world um, that 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 follows Celsius. <laughs> once you get past, I think it's like negative forty degrees Fahrenheit. The the temperature scale becomes very similar uh, in Celsius. So I don't know exactly what this translates to, but it should be very similar um, in Celsius. Now, Mike, um, now but- that I'm looking at our rundown, of course, and you know we have to have a rundown just to kind of guide our show along here, but that that occurred in July, didn't it? Yeah, it was a very warm uh, in Antarctica, <laughs> Vostok, Antarctica, July 21st, 1983. So, I mean, of course, you know, that's where that's else the heart of winter down there, right? You know, like, the yeah, the, the bottom of the earth. <laughs> um, yeah. So for those who want to know, uh, in degrees Celsius, that is uh, uh, 89.2 below zero. Oh, it's not. It's not. So, as, yeah. OK, I guess. Uh, no, it's not as it's not as equivalent. No. Well, the, 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 the equivalent occurs at what? Minus 40, right? Yeah. But I didn't know that all of a sudden it just mm. starts to ramp back up again. I guess there's an equilibrium point once you get to that period and then it starts yeah. to. That's a trail away. Possibly. That's what the uh, Google Trends, uh, uh, Google... Um, conversion? What am I looking for? Conversion uh, table? Yeah. Conversion is, is telling me. Yeah, I, I typed in uh, 128.6 below uh, in Fahrenheit, and it gave me 89.2 below. Okay. Hey, I'm not going to argue with that with so, that uh, assessment. We'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, but anyway, it is interesting that it was in July um and you got to think this is in antarctica at vostok uh, whatever you that think is think about it too it's july but remember the southern hemisphere is different than the northern hemisphere you know you don't get the warmest temperatures in the southern hemisphere in january it's it's the opposite and that's why winter in like the southern hemisphere is you know in in the summer quote unquote time while we're baking in the sun here, you know, July 21st, Southern, like South America is cold, you know, and, and that's just the way that the, you know, in Australia. The, yeah. Yeah. You know, their, 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 their potential for snow is during the summer months, but again, their summer is backwards. Um, however, the United States obviously is a Northern hemisphere and the coldest temperature. I'll give our listeners five seconds again. What is the coldest temperature and where just give a state. Think of a state. You don't have to think of the, the location. Alabama. Yeah, Alabama. <laughs> Come on now. The first three letters are right. It's it, it's it's an A state. Um, <laughs> it's Alaska. Again, no surprise there, right? Right. No surprise. Negative yeah. 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Prospect Creek. Not July, but mm. January 23rd, 1971. So amazing. That's crazy. Which is typically the coldest time of the year for most places in the northern hemisphere. I mean, yeah, January is mid-January. Yeah, we're in the thick of it. You know, as we're recording this, you know, it's we're in the thick of it. Um, so not not surprising at all. Um, but if you go down into the contiguous U.S., the lower forty-eight, essentially negative seventy degrees in which which state? Alabama, right? No, <laughs> no, not Alabama this time. Montana. Rogers Pass, negative 70 degrees. So Montana. not much more of a difference, but... Again, but you know what? Yeah, you get below minus 20, does it even matter anymore? <laughs> you know, I think what matters at that point is just your risk of 
Oh uh, gosh. Frostbite, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause also we're not factoring in here. Wind chill guys. No, really. Wind chill makes this even worse. Yeah. But although you may need no, you may need a calm night to get these kinds of temperatures. That too. is true. So. That is very true. True. But let's just think about it. If you had a wind chill, like uh, maybe a 10 mile an hour breeze with a negative yeah, 70. Even, yeah. That's, that's... You just, I mean, at that point, it, it, because wind chill is really what does it in in terms of like, you know, uh, getting frostbite hypothermia, it really speeds that up. But again, if you're out there with nothing at negative 70, it doesn't matter. There's no wind. You're going to, you're, you're going to freeze in like, I don't know, five your minutes. Skin or less. Yeah. It, your tissue skin. It's just, it's going to, it's going to turn, it's going to get cold and you're going to start to get frostbite quick without a wind. Yeah, and the reason why the the wind chill uh, does that is because it takes all that heat away from your body um, very quickly. So you, that's why you get the frostbite in, coming in so much quicker um, because that wind takes that heat away from your skin. Um, that kind of is the little thin layer of, of warmth you might have around your yeah, body. Thankfully, we're not cold-blooded. Yeah, that's that's for true. We, we would just be standing... <laughs> Yeah, we would motionless. We would we outside. would be like the um like the iguanas in in Florida that fall out of the yeah. trees. <laughs> yeah, fall out of the trees, yeah. right? They go into a stasis <laughs> mode. Imagine that if we just walked outside on a you know below zero night and just fall <laughs> over. Did you did you know that? Uh, where where where's Mike? Oh, he's, he's lying in the parking lot. He's all right though. He's cold blooded. Well, did you know that good. iguanas are not indigenous to Florida? Oh no! no they were brought that. here um, back when they were co- it was colonized, huh. um, and they just ended up exploding hmm. in population. You know, it, so they they are a uh, How about that not a local species, which makes sense. I mean, you know, they're iguanas are more so like a Caribbean, Central, South American kind of. You know, they're they're more in like a jungle, tropical climate, and Florida's not as tropical. I mean, it gets to it, but it's still farther north in latitude to not be as tropical we're talking like equator you know all right so anyway interesting oh mike i think you uh researched this next part right yeah since we're talking about temperatures i thought it'd be fun to kind of you know see how cold it might have gotten in places that you wouldn't equate with being super cold so if we're talking about continents which continent do you think was colder Africa or Australia? Hmm. Again, we'll give our listeners a chance to think about that one. It must be a trick question if you're asking this. It definitely is (laughs) South America. (laughs) There wasn't even a choice. Uh, (laughs) You're like playing uh, Celebrity Jeopardy on SNL. Keep having that liquid lunch, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So Africa or Australia, which has gotten colder in history? So it's actually Africa, and you wouldn't think of Africa as being cold. Um, however, in northern Africa, there's a country called Morocco, and they got down to 11 below zero in 1935 in February. Now, it wasn't by much because Australia did get to nine below zero, um, and that was in New South Wales in 1994. Um, of course, that was in June because the seasons are flipped. In the you southern think Australia would have gotten colder too. I mean, just because how far south I mean, even they are. I mean, they're they're down towards the Antarctic Circle, the the southern tip of it. 
you know, those conditions in Morocco must have been so ripe. I mean, yes, you, you, you know, you typically get, I mean, deserts are always known for their extreme heat, but in the evening, you know, they are great radio. Oh, their, their temperature you know. range is ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it's, it goes from like the nineties and Fahrenheit down to like near zero. It's, it's crazy. The, the extremes, you know, um, and yeah. And while you're talking about that, I got a, I got a one on that too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, you're talking about extremes like that in, in a desert area. So death Valley is, is has the hottest temperature on record on earth at 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. Right? Um, so what was the coldest Death Valley has gotten? Uh, I'm going to say, mm, let's see. No looking. Oh, no see, now this is where I don't know. So this isn't us faking it. We we don't, I don't know, at least. I'm not looking it up, I promise. Um, negative 10. Oh, you're a little degrees. too cold. Okay, so it's above zero. Yes, we are above right, zero. Uh, 15 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> Ooh, right on the nose. Now you no, I, I swear, I swear <laughs> I did not look this up. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, but okay, so that's what it is. 15 degrees was the lowest that it's gotten in Death Valley. So you have the hottest temperature on Earth at 134 and 15. It was at the same place at, um, um, oh, it's a ranch um, down there. Um, Hidden Valley Ranch, where they make the ranch. <laughs> Hidden Valley <Yeah>. Ranch. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm gonna look it up because I, I it's bothering me now. But I don't think it happened during the same. You know, you're not gonna get 134 or whatever at the same time as as 15, um, because I imagine that happened no, during no, the summer absolutely. months, and it's very tough to because uh, you're so far north in latitude. Um, right. So. Yes. Um, so Furnace, Furnace Creek. Cre- hey, it's in the name, it, it Furnace. Right. You can, right. You can cook an egg in like a minute out there. Yeah, sometimes I look at that and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, come on. Yeah, the hottest temperature at Furnace Creek, uh, did you name it after the hottest temperature or something? What happened there? That seems Can you imagine odd. what the body feels like under those conditions? I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I don't want to know. You start baking. That, that, that's just crazy. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting tidbit coming back um, to Africa or Australia. Um, but there's also some interesting things uh, across the United States here w- with some colder temperatures in the States. I don't know if any of you want to go through some of that, but some are uh, pretty surprising. Yeah, the one that really jumps out at me is at Tallahassee, that they actually got below zero. I mean, granted, it was 1899, uh, but... February of 1899, their, their record low was minus two for the state. That's that's nuts. Maybe their thermometers weren't working. I mean, again, they're in the mm. they're in the panhandle, but still, that's that's even that's yeah. impressive to get below zero negative down there. Two. Can I-10. you imagine today if, if we got to negative two in Tallahassee? People oh, would be... freak out. Yeah, they would. Oh my goodness! And I, I thought it was surprising too. You know that even places like Hawaii have gotten very cold. Um, Hawaii has gotten down to 12 degrees. Now, of course, this is at uh, Mauna Kea Observatory, and that's over 13,000 feet. Well, it snows. Yeah, I mean, it snows on the, on the you know, higher ups of 
of Hawaii too. But again, like you said, I mean, we're talking 10, 12, 13,000 feet up. And, and, and the date on that, Mike, that one really kind of surprised me or Mike's, uh, May 17th. I mean, that's... right. Yeah. That is, um, that is quite interesting. Um, that it, that it is that date in May, because we're still talking about Northern hemisphere, yeah. correct? I mean, by May, even in, even the higher ups in Hawaii are thinking it's got to be getting into the seventies by then. Pretty. It must have been a very, very yeah, it had cold, to be something anomalous really air anomalous. mass that just moved yeah. over at, at those at those elevations. But yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Thankfully, though, even if it snows up there, I don't think they need any snow plows because I mean, I don't know if you can drive <laughs> up there. There's one road up there, and that's it. Yeah, maybe one, but you know, if it's snowing, you're not going to drive up there. So. Um, yeah, I think we could pass on that ooh, one. We got mm-hmm. another thing here. Uh, another uh, guess who's been colder. Uh, ooh, Illinois fun. or Pennsylvania? Do, do, I would think do, Illinois. Do, 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 I mean, honestly. Yeah, Pennsylvania's do, got some cold do, pockets, though. So, I mean, do, do. Bradford, PA, all those places. The answer is Pennsylvania. Negative, wow. negative 42. <laughs> Yeah, you do think of the Midwest a lot of times as colder, yeah. No, but it, it just, it's surprising right, that's what I mean. to it's, me. Yeah, you would think the Midwest sometimes is colder than the Northeast. Because the Midwest, the upper Midwest and, and all that, yeah. they well, get so cold with, you know, high pressures diving straight out of Canada. It usually moderates by the time it gets here now, a little bit. Do, you, do we know where this negative 42 degrees was uh, recorded? Because my guess is maybe mm. it was higher up in elevation and it was a cold air mass that came through and... I know that the Midwest gets cold, but a lot of that, there's really no elevation in Illinois. So no. you're at like a little bit above sea level. Meanwhile, there's places that go up maybe three, 4,000 feet, Pennsylvania. Now, I'm not looking, and we don't have this on the rundown. For some reason, Smethport sticks in my mind. Smith, Smethport? I'm going to look that up. Yeah, for some reason, I've heard this before. Smethport. Interesting. All right, you... you... You do some research on that one, but uh, I, I I say that the Pennsylvania gauge was broken. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I the just... person was uh, reading it backwards and it was actually twenty four instead of forty. Twenty four. I would believe that. Yeah. Sure. That would seem more uh, in line. I see a minus thirty nine for Smithport, so I don't know where the minus forty two was reported. Okay, but still, that wow. still beats it. Oh, yeah. Illinois was negative yeah, thirty six. Still... Negative thirty nine is still. That's impressive. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, what's more impressive is how cold Miami got. Uh, oh yeah, the, for Christmas. Just talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, fifty degrees. And that's it's, in... that's what's called a, a low high. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah. I mean, granted, by by Record our standards here, high. you know, for like if New York City was fifty degrees Christmas Day, that's that's like a, all right, you know, light jacket. Down there, fifty degrees is heavy coat. <laughs> right. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, down in Miami, you're just not prepared for anything below, I would say, 65. Can you imagine telling someone there yeah, the high on Christmas Day is going to be 51 or 50 degrees in Miami? Oh, they'd be freaking out. Get the mm. space heaters out. You know, but, you know, your body, it's almost like the same idea in like Denver, Colorado. Your body's acclimated to pressure. Your body down there is acclimated to temperatures above 75 degrees for most of the year so once you start to go into these colder i mean people laugh like oh 50 degrees but really if your body's out there you know you're you're acclimated 
And once you get acclimated, it, it, you know, a 50 degree day will feel colder to you versus someone that's come from a climate where 50 degrees in the winter is a warm day, you know? So everybody's different and everybody acclimates differently. Um, and they, they change with, with the weather, but yeah, down there, I was probably bad. Well, while we're on the subject too, the coldest temperature ever recorded in Miami, any, any quick guesses? Mm. Obviously this would be an overnight 32. low. 48 degrees now. No. <laughs> the coldest ever was 28 degrees on February oh 6th, 1947. Shut down the city. Shut yeah, down everything. 28 that's degrees. That's the official low, like, yeah, official record How did low. they how did they keep the pipes from freezing? They must have wrapped like pipes and stuff, you know? Because they don't have that. Well, even still, I mean, you, you got to imagine the ground temperature must be still Yeah, I mean, even if they get a couple yeah. nights of cold. Right. Probably, but, uh, you know, anything exposed, that's not good. I mean, I don't I don't know what type of insulation they use if they still well, insulate the pipes like they do up north and that sort of thing. This was also back in 1947. So, I mean, obviously, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about. Oh, that's true. Now, now here, here's a now here's a fun fact about the southeast. Now, you guys know I lived in Charleston for about 17 years, South Carolina, and there's no basements out there because the the water table is just too high. So everything's on slabs. Our water heater was actually in the garage, and we do get cold temperatures. There were nights that I mean, you do get cold down in the southeast sometimes. We had some temperatures in the low 20s, and our pipes would actually freeze because it's exposed in the garage. And the pipes aren't actually insulated until they get inside. So we'd have trouble with the water coming in from the hot water heater outside, which was, again, exposed. And that would freeze the pipes because once it got cold enough on those, you know, pipes, it would just travel through the house. It was crazy. Yeah, that'll do it for sure. Um, It's just one more last thing about Miami. I I wonder what, like, hoodie weather is down in Miami. Like when do they bust out a hoodie, or do they even have? Uh, probably hoodies? when the temperature gets below <laughs> sixty-five. You think sixty-five? I bet you it's more like seventy. No, no. I bet they think. I bet they think. No, seven. no, come on. Seventy is a normal <laughs> low for them. That's yeah. that. That's normal. I, I I would think once you get into the lower sixties, like at that point, because I mean, when you break sixty, you get into the upper fifties. That's when you bring out the coat. Yeah. So like the the sixties have to be hoodie weather. You know what? I should ask a good friend of mine. He lives down in uh, South Florida yeah. around Miami. Ask, ask, I should, uh, ask the people that have been there forever, not the people that have come from like New York. Right. Or, I mean, he's a yeah, transplant say, from Pennsylvania. Yeah, so, so I mean, like... I mean, if he's been there for a long time, he might have acclimated. But if, um, you know, if, if you've lived in Florida all your life and you're down there, I mean, ask that person. They probably will be like, yeah, I wear a coat when it's 60. Like, I wear, wear the mittens and, and scarf. Mm-hmm. Long pants, socks, thick socks, everything. <laughs> so here's another one real quick. Who's been colder? Um, Chicago or Denver? Who do you think's been colder? Oh, this seems easy. This seems like a no-brainer, right? Right. So, I mean, if you're thinking about it, most people will probably say, well, Denver absolutely has been colder. Um, but it's not by much, really. Um, Denver has been 29 below zero. Um, but Chicago's lowest has been 27 Mm, below zero. So it's really, yeah, it's really not that different. 
Um, you thought like Denver would be a shoe in colder, but it's actually not. Yeah. What about the coldest New York City? What, what's the record there? That would be 15 below. That's cold. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly especially cold. with the urban heat. Well, then again, we're going back to 1934. See, I think it'd be tough to get that cold anymore. You know, not even yeah, talking about climate surprised. change well, and things like could. that. I think just because of the. I think we could. I mean, hey, we we've gotten we've well, yeah. Ur- the problem, yeah, you're right. Urbanization, like in New York City itself, I would say Central Park still has a chance. Yeah, maybe. You know? Like if you were to well, measure- that's where this was taken, Central Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, but then again, back then, Central Park. Was was a little more, Open. you know. There's not a lot of things right. around it, you know. It was not as urbanized, but now it's more urbanized. It's kind of the only spot that's not in Central Park. But I think you could still get below zero in New York. Maybe not negative fifteen, but maybe like negative one or negative two. Um, I think it's still possible. But yeah, you're right. If you're downtown Manhattan, you know the the lower lower half, you know it. You can't get. It's just so much around it. So. What about Los Angeles? Can they get below freezing at all? Can Los Angeles get below freezing? Yeah. You know? I mean, Miami. Uh, Miami. I mean, that would be pretty rare. I mean, they're usually very. Yeah. They're usually pretty stable out there on the West Coast. Um, yeah. Well. You know, they're, they're, their weather is usually pretty mundane unless you're getting one of these, uh, you know, atmospheric yeah. river type things. And that would still bring in the milder air, though. You would have to have a, a, a weird setup where the high is like north of them and flowing the cold air down the Sacramento Valley or something. Well, in 1949, they fell to 27 degrees Fahrenheit. It's close to Miami. January 4th. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. The Los Angeles recently, I don't know if it was last year or the year before that, maybe it was three years ago, I forgot, but they had some snow. Um, actually, was it snow or was it, was it hail? It might have been hail it or sleet. sleet, yeah. It was a very weird mixture of some sort of wintry precipitation that fell from the sky um, in like the, I don't know if it was Pasadena. I think it was Pasadena, right? It was somewhere inland. It wasn't on the coast. It was inland Los Angeles, not in the mountains, but kind of like more inland that they had that so it gets cold out there um but 27 degrees Oof. all right let's uh, let's do one last factoid on temperature um and then we'll move on to uh, our last thing about the, the pressures and things like that but um now you know we got the super bowl actually coming up and and when you think about super bowl you think about nice weather arizona southern california um, but a long time mm-hmm. ago, back in the 60s and 70s, you know, right when the Super Bowls were actually starting, uh, they actually did still play it outside a lot. And again, they still play it outside now, but they usually, again, go to where they're pretty sure it's going to be warm. But they played it at in New Orleans. Now, granted, in New Orleans, February, you're thinking, yeah, it's, it'll be OK warm. Um, I guess this is actually January. Um Super Bowl six on January 16th is actually the coldest Super Bowl ever. And it was outdoors. Super Bowl. I don't think the Superdome was built yet. It was at Tulane Stadium at 39 degrees. So that is the record coldest Super Bowl, which, again, when you think about it, it's not that cold. But, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at nice weather. And, and uh... So this threw me for a loop a little bit, uh, Brad, you're talking about Super Bowl. But actually, before the Super Bowl, there was something called the NFL Championship that they would play. So that's why I was thinking like, well, wait a minute. What about the ice bowl that you always hear about that was in Green Bay and, you know, but that was the NFL championship game, right? I think they actually went to the, the home field of, of the or the, the, the best record of the home team. Yeah. 
So that was back in 1967 before they started calling it the Super Bowl. And um, but that was 13 below zero um, during that game. Um, wow. And I honestly, I have no idea how you play football at that type of temperature. When I was I mean, I didn't play football long. I mean, just through high school and that kind of stuff. But there was a few cold games out there that were maybe been 40 degrees. And my goodness, it was 40 degrees and raining. Yeah, uh, it was awful. And now here's a here's a funny, uh, not funny to this guy though. But I mean, it, uh, here's a here's an odd tidbit with this game. Now, back then, referees used to use metal whistles, and this actually changed. This is the reason why they don't use metal whistles anymore because it was so cold that one of the referees, his name was Norm Schachter, and he put his he put the whistle up to. Well, no, think about uh, a Christmas story when when the kid put his warm tongue on the cold pole. Yeah, same idea here. I guess when he went to go use his whistle, it it stuck to his lips, and then he ripped it off quick, and it tore a piece of his lip off. And he's a player. One of the players for the Cowboys said he bled most of the game because it tore off a piece of his lip. So from that point on, after that game, they started using plastic whistles, and that's why I guess to this day that's why they use plastic whistles. Yeah. And, and actually, a funny, uh, funny. Uh, the announcer back then was Frank Gifford. I mean, he's old school. Uh, he used to play, but he, I guess he laughed and made a joke during the game. He's like, "I'll take another bite of my coffee if you don't mind." <laughs> <laughs> bite of my coffee. <laughs> it was so cold. I guess when they were announcing it. But uh, that's funny. I like that bite yeah, of my yeah. coffee. Yeah, got a coffee popsicle going on there. All right, so let's go into our last section here, a little bit of a rapid-fire uh, question, or I guess, answer here about uh, the different types of pressures and winter storms. And when we think of pressure, we think of hurricanes, Hurricanes, yeah. you know, in, in, in the tropical seasons, you know, Category 5 storm can get down to, like, sub-940 millibars of pressure. Um, but in January 1913, there was an extra tropical cyclone. We'll stick with the tropical first, because uh, the— tropical season typically ends in november but it can go into january we've seen that the past couple of years with storms going through the new year um they can happen this one actually got down to 955 millibars and that's just like yeah that's like your nor'easter off the coast exactly um but it did have some tropical characteristics so it's not totally uh, you know hurricane but it you know it's a tropical cyclone at this point um inland though if we go back to, uh, you know, inland across the Northern Plains, October 2010, 955.2 millibars from storm over Minnesota. Yeah, I actually remember that one. Um, I know I just started, well, I did just start. I started in 2008 at Weatherworks, but uh, this, was, this was two years in. But I remember seeing that storm developing on the models and just thinking, my goodness, like, I, I don't know if that's got to be some sort of record. I mean... <laughs> And uh, yeah, obviously uh, it was 955 is just amazing. I mean, I don't know what category hurricane that would be comparable to if we went by pressure, but it would probably be something like like cat uh, three or four, three. Yeah. Or four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the blizzard of 90 of of 78 was 956. So very comparable. I mean, I can imagine that storm in October was a blizzard. I mean, you got to have winds whipping out of that. The pressure gradient must have been insane. Oh, absolutely. 
and and you think about you compare those storms and one of the benchmarks for east coast nor'easters is the superstorm of 93 um and both of those storms were a lower pressure than the superstorm of 93 which was 960 at the at its lowest point uh that was over new england um and you know living through that as a as a as a kid was just amazing and we've talked about that in in prior podcasts before um but i would say before that happened now i don't know where to put this one because sandy did have snow yes west virginia (laughs) um so this one's kind of a controversy though because it was a tropical system and it made an extra tropical conversion as it made landfall in new jersey so some people say it wasn't a hurricane when it made landfall um yeah let's just say that it's a a hybrid of some sort Um, some sort of hybrid because there was like you know over two feet of snow in portions of west virginia um, with this system, and that had a pressure of 946 millibars when it uh, went into Brigantine, New Jersey. Now, I want to bring back just a little bit of a backtrack to the uh, the Boxing Day blizzard of 2010. That actually got to 960 millibars, so that was right oh, at did the it? storm. Yeah, I looked it up. Apparently, at, at its peak pressure was 960. But, you know, I think that was when it was starting to pull away from the coast. Um, cause again, once you get farther North, the pressure gradient, like, I mean, it, storms that get up into the Northern Atlantic can, can really drop. Um, oh, absolutely. at that point they're all fish storms, but still, I mean, you go the farther North you go in, in, in the hemisphere, the stronger, the pressure gradient, the stronger, the, the, the pressure drop is going to be. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up, uh, that it was a little similar to the Superstorm 93. Yeah, so we wanted to we wanted to talk a little bit about what the s- lowest pressures were and some of the strongest uh nor'easters, but just to compare, you know, we're talking about 960, you know, 950, but the lowest pressure ever recorded was 870. That's on Earth, right? That's on the whole. Yeah, 870 millibars and that was in Typhoon Tip in 1979 out in the Pacific. Um, so while these storms did get very low pressures and certainly powerful, nothing's going to beat the a hurricane, um, at, at that point. I mean, they just can get so low. Wilma got close back in, um, 2005, it got down to 882 millibars. So I, I, every time somebody says like, oh, you were close or something, I think of that commercial where that guy's like dangling a, a dollar and, oh, you got to be quicker than that. be quicker than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but on, on the flip side of, of uh, you know, low pressure, we have high pressure. And, you know, we think of like a 1040 millibar high as pretty solid. But the world record for the highest ever reported pressure was in Russia. 1083 millibars of pressure in Agata, Russia in December of yeah, 1968. Wow. Yeah. That that's insane. I mean get a headache from that kind of pressure on you. you were there <laughs> any clouds? It was probably a, a nice bright and sunny day. I mean, so dry. <laughs> Can't imagine. Yeah, right over Siberia, I would imagine. Um 
uh, that's an amazing. There's a little chilly under that too. Yeah, just just a little bit, a little right? Tad, you know, um, ne- negative a, a a mild negative thirty degrees Fahrenheit. Um, just for comparison's sake, though, back in uh, December uh, of 2022, just not too long ago, when we had the big Arctic outbreak come across the the northern plains, um, that high pressure that dropped in out of Canada was around 1060 millibars, I believe. So you're talking about another 23 millibars uh, higher, which is uh, pretty amazing to me because I thought I saw the 1060 high and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but and with the uh, low pressures and high, high pressures, you get lots of wind uh, between that gradient. Um, so it's interesting what is the highest wind gust? I mean, it's not totally, um, you know, maybe winter related, but I mean, it happened in winter, um, at least as far as the the United States is concerned. Um, Well, sort of in winter, we're coming out of winter, I should say. Um, But the maximum wind gust um, was 231 miles an hour. Now, this is uh, measured by an instrument, too. So obviously we can get, potentially we can get a little bit higher than that inside a tornado or an F5 or EF5. But this was on Mount Washington, measured by an instrument in April 1934, 231 miles an hour. That's impressive for the East Coast, too. I mean, I mean, they always gust, uh, you know, really high. I know they were going over 130 miles an hour in one of the storms in last December. And, and relatively speaking, it's not really. I mean, yeah, they're they're high. It's not the highest point east of the Mississippi, but it's close to. I mean, but relatively, it's only like 6,200 feet, right? And you know, the Rockies, you get yeah, places that are like that. 11, yeah. 12,000 feet. So it's it's pretty impressive to get that kind of wind, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But it, it seems like that is one of the windiest places, that's for sure, now, in the U.S. You, I mean, look, we have problems of our own with with, with METARs, you know, stations that report, you know, temperature and, and pressure and, 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 uh, and wind, uh, of getting anything above like 140 mile per hour gust. Once you get into the 200 mile per hour range, you know, you have to have some serious equipment to survive those sustained or even, you know, brief wind gusts, you know, over 200. So it's going to take a lot to like, you know, there could have been there been a higher gust in reality. Yes. Would we have been able to measure it? Probably not, because this would have happened. Yeah, you know, to these fail. gusts ha- didn't happen, you know, 200 years ago. You know, we, we measured these within the, the past century. So technology was not around. We didn't have the equipment. You could have had a gust over 300 somewhere. Not saying it happened, but I'm saying it. it's tough to measure wind gusts above a certain threat. Yeah, and you're right, Mike. Uh, typically, when you have landfalling hurricanes and things like that, the, the instruments just don't survive. You know, they usually break at a certain point. You know, once you get over 100 miles an hour, um, typically they just start breaking down on us, and it, which is surprising that this um, wind speed in, in Australia, the highest wind speed measured on Earth was 253, 253 miles an hour. And that was in a tropical cyclone in, in Australia. I, I can't believe it survived, honestly, um, to measure that speed. And that's actually validated, but um, pretty amazing there. 
The other thing I find interesting is that um, <laughs> I recently bought an anemometer for my house. It's always windy at my house on top of a hill. And this thing says it's rated to 111 miles an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm mounting this on my shed, and I'm thinking, there is no way that this piece of instrument, it's basically plastic, you know, uh, how is this going to hold up to over 100 miles? I mean, you're talking about Category 3 hurricane. You're telling me this thing is going to withstand? They probably put it into a, what they did was, I'm guessing, is they had it in a wind tunnel. And they probably had certain, they, they might have tested it once. I can imagine they had multiple times they tried testing this out and it, and it, and it failed. Mm. But they had like one or two, must they, like barely, barely made it. So they're like, oh, it, it can survive 111. But it's like, but out of like how many attempts will, 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 will it survive? Like 50 attempts and like one time it survived. Like that doesn't count as mm. they can survive to 111. Yeah. You know? I, I I don't know. I'm 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 very skeptical here. It's theoretical, it's theoretical, 111, but realistically, 90. Yeah. So so next time it gusts at my house, I mean, usually I get really good gusts. Um, you know, I want to see how it handles like 40 plus. Um, I will be surprised if it. I mean, it should hold on. I I would imagine it seems like it should hold on, but. I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical to see um, if this thing holds up and if it breaks or not. By the way, one last thing I have to mention because I said that uh, Hurricane Wilma got close, but actually Patricia got very close. Eight hundred and seventy-two millibars back in uh, 2014, I think. Um, yeah, it was 2015. Sorry, in October. Yeah, so they got two millibars close to tip. So. Just wanted to throw that out there. Wilman was 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 a uh, third place. So I believe there were some tweets from the hurricane hunters saying that that was one of the worst rides uh, through a hurricane they've experienced. Um, I, I think there's a video out there showing, like, uh, showing the pilot getting like lifted up off the seat based off the turbulence and how how much they dropped. Uh, I think they dropped like over a thousand feet um or something like that almost instantly uh, when they're going through the eye wall um and if they weren't buckled in they'd be you know smashing against the ceiling <laughs> but um but hey we got to plug in that hur- uh, the hurricane hunter episode now that we're talking about hurricane hunters oh yeah absolutely yeah we we talked to a hurricane hunter uh that Ryan right Ryan Rickert yes um you know back in the fall. So please check that episode out. It was a good one. Uh, I think it's actually a two-part episode um, with Ryan, and that was really interesting getting the, his perspective on what it's like flying through hurricanes. But Mike, uh, since you're a guest on the show, why don't you just end this off with our last little factoid about earliest measurable snowfall? All right. In New York City, the earliest measurable snow uh, was back in October of 1876 the 15th uh half inch of snow and i assume this is central park because that's where most of, if not all the measurements are taken um the latest was january 29th 1973 so yeah that's the latest first measurable snow measurable so... snow yes 
So they haven't gotten any snow before nineteen or before January twenty ninth, nineteen seventy three of that season. That was the first day they had snow. Um, so that's that's insane, but not as crazy as uh, Chicago because Chicago saw the latest measurable snow in December uh, December twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. Um, so you know they haven't they they've at least snowed through January um essentially but the, the latest was december 28th which is kind of insane the earliest was october 12th which is not much of a difference from new york city for chicago i think it's impressive that they can hold on to december yeah, 28th without a measurable pretty... snowfall um because they usually see snowfall a lot sooner than we do on the east coast especially when you get to new york city um so making it all the way almost all the way through december is is actually um you know quite impressive um and just so everybody knows when we talk about uh, measurable snowfall um we're talking about anything that is 0.1 inch or higher uh trace um, don't count we're not uh, yeah f- flakes in the air that does not count <laughs> um and just for reference um actually during that year where they had the latest uh, first measurable snow in New York City. Uh, they also had the least amount of snow uh, in Central Park at 2.8 inches for the year, 72 to 73, 1972, 1973. So there's a few New York factoids, but I, I I think we covered about every record that we could think of here for the winter, guys. Yeah, I'm sure there's more, but I think we're we're already extending the amount of time we've been talking. So I think we should probably, and I'm saying this from a producing side, um, <laughs> we need to probably end this. Yeah, let's wrap. Um, so, hey, that's our episode for this week on the Weather Lounge. Thanks um, to meteorologist Mike Priante for coming out and being a special guest with us again this this episode. And, uh, you know, thanks to Brad, too, but he's always here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's the show for uh, this week. Remember, we'll have a new one every two weeks, so come back and visit the Weather Lounge and also rate our podcast that pushes up us up a bit higher into the ratings and also visit weatherworksinc.com for our company and what we do there and also visit weatherworks on all our other social media accounts too so that's it for this episode we'll be back soon